0: White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. So welcome in to White Sox Weekly. Got a big evening of White Sox conversation with you here on the show. We've got you for the next two hours all the way up until 840 Tonight, 8.40 tonight, it's West Coast baseball, it's Divot with the Pacific and Central, it's very confusing, but we have you for the next two hours, and boy, do we have news for White Sox fans. If you've been away from Twitter, if you have had the phone off until now, if you've been living under a rock this Saturday, and who can blame you, that's what Saturdays are for, it has been reported the White Sox will indeed sign top Cuban prospect Luis Robert. It is a... Big news, big news. We get Sounders and everything for it. It is exciting stuff, and we've got the load on exactly how it happened, who did what, when it happened, how much everyone's paying for it. It's go- You're not paying anything for it. It's going to be one heck of a show. Here's the lineup. As our first segment tonight is a little bit abbreviated so we can squeeze in a conversation with Baseball America's Ben Badler. Ben covers the international signing market better and more often than just about anybody out there. He didn't break the news. It was Ken Rosenthal and Jeff Passon of Fox Sports and of Yahoo Sports, respectively, who had that stuff first this afternoon. Everything sounded like it was coming down to the White Sox and the Cardinals as to who would get uh, this young, talented five toolsy top fifty prospect type guy, and it's pretty exciting that it sounds like indeed no word officially from the ball club yet, but every report out there says that Luis Robert is going to be in the White Sox system uh for the cool, low, low price of around 20 to $25 million or so. There are some ins and outs and a lot of what-have-yous as to how exactly this player is going to get into the system and and what sorts of uh, CBA-type things, what sorts of uh, constrictions there are on exactly how Luis Robert is going to be signed and what that will cost the White Sox both now and in the future. And we'll work you through some of that to be sure. But for now, know this, that... Whatever you want to call it, the rebuild, the retool, the, the however it is, whatever you'd like to describe it as, however Rick Hahn would like to describe it as too uh, because he likes to use a couple of different words to do it. The same with the coaches and same with a lot of the front office. Kenny Williams the same way. Whatever this is has now been kind of kicked in the booty with a pair of steel-toed boots. This is a big-time addition to an already rich stable of prospects that has been enriched over the last well, almost calendar year now, going back to last year's draft. I guess that would be technically 13 months since we're about a month away from the draft now. But ever since Nick Hostetler and crew brought in Zach Collins, brought in Zach, uh, Zach Birdie, brought in Alec Hanson and the rest of that draft class, which are, is, to be sure, rounded out with some good talent in Jamison Fisher, or Alex Call. I mean, the rest of the way down the line, there are some good players there. After the trades of Sale and the trades of Eaton, You've added some serious top 100 talent, and it looks like we'll talk to Ben Badler about exactly where the good folks at Baseball America would slot in Luis Robert in the White Sox system in the top 100 in Major League Baseball and where Luis Robert – I keep on going back and forth between Luis Robert and Luis Robert. I suppose we can ask Ben about that. Nobody would know. If nobody knows, Ben knows. And and I think – you know, listen to, listen to the names. I'll just go through some of the names. These are all talents that you've added that the White Sox have picked up and thrown into the system in the last 13 months. Yohan Mankata, the top prospect in all of baseball. Michael Kopech, who comes in around the 22-23 range. Lucas Giolito, right about the same thing. Ronaldo Lopez, a little bit lower than that, but right around that 30 mark, depending on who you talk to Zach Collins, drafted last season, Alec Hansen drafted last season, Zach Birdie, drafted last season, and Dane Dunning, who was picked up in the Adam Eaton deal. They already had Carson Fulmer. That is a top ten, and Luis Robert is gonna kick off one of those guys from the list. That's the kind of talent he is purported to have. We're gonna be we're we're excited talking about it with you and, and want to know what you think about the White Sox signing such a premier young outfielder as it has been reported all day long that that's going to be the addition the White Sox will make. Sox fans, you can join us as we welcome back White Sox alum on Homecoming Weekend, Friday, May 26th to Sunday, May 28th, on the White Sox Battle of the Tigers. Homecoming Weekend is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Bring your business home to Bedford Park and win big. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com. We'll continue talking about the big news of the day, the acquisition of the reported acquisition of Luis Robert to the White Sox system. Ben Badler of Baseball America is going to join us right after the commercial break. We'll talk with James Feagan of the Athletic. He's out in Seattle and was talking to people in the organization out there and getting their reaction to it. We'll also talk with White Sox reliever Anthony Swarzak this afternoon. We'll also have a conversation with CSN Chicago's producer, Ryan McGuffey. CSN Chicago is doing a, a whole special starting Monday night on the White Sox system. So Sox fans get to meet just about every one of the top prospects in the system um, through their documentary. We'll talk to Guff about making it and about what you can expect to see on Monday night. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got White Sox Weekly, and we will be right back here on WLS AM 890. Welcome back into White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and we're joined by Ben Badler of Baseball America. He has been all over the international signing process for a while now. And the man who has been all over what the White Sox just did this afternoon. Ben, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate you hanging out. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. First and and probably the biggest question White Sox fans have right now is how in the name of all that's holy are we pronouncing Luis Robert?
1: (laughs) uh, So I've always heard it pronounced as uh, Luis Robert. uh, Fair enough uh from you know people including people in in Cuba uh everybody else I know uh but it's kind of one of those things where it's like I'm I'm in Boston and, and how uh, how <laughs> how I pronounce words here or other people here uh, pronounce words a little different than people in Chicago or or North Carolina pronounced the word, but I've always heard as uh, Luis Robert.
0: Well, then we will go with Luis Robert until I guess Luis tells us differently. Ben, tell me, how you've been over this for a couple of days now, and, well, really longer than that. How how did the decision come down for Luis Robert Robert, to sign with the White Sox? You've been doing Robert for a while. How did it come down between the White Sox and Cardinals? What were the last couple of days like as far as you know? Yeah, I mean,
1: as, as far as I know, it, it sounded like, uh, you know, the, the teams that were in on, on Robert were most of the teams that were kind of already were, were already over their international bonus pools, uh, mainly the Padres, the Astros, the Reds, the A's. I uh, think at a certain point it probably just got a little bit too rich uh, for those clubs. I and mean, all those teams were, were very aggressive uh, on him. They're You know, the Reds and the A's. Uh, both sent their, their GM down to the Dominican Republic to, to see him in person at private workouts. Uh, but it, it sounded like most of what I was hearing the last couple of days was Cardinals, White Sox. Um, you know, those teams are being very aggressive on him and it sounded like it was down to those two teams. I mean, I, you know, I don't know exactly what was, uh, uh, being offered, but I would imagine it, uh, it's probably pretty close. and uh, it sounds like the, the White Sox kind of separated themselves just that, uh, you know, just at the end here today.
0: You you wrote, we're talking about Ben Badler of Baseball America. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ben Badler. He's got the name for the handle, which means he's important. On May 18th, you wrote that the White Sox would be sacrificing more to get him. Obviously, with the changes in uh, sacrificing more than other teams, I guess, with the changes in how we go about getting international products into the major leagues now, can you kind of describe what you meant by that and why, in your opinion, they chose to sacrifice more like you wrote?
1: Right. So, yeah, like I was saying, it's the the teams that were always going to be in the mix for Robert were the teams that had already gone over their international bonus pools and really had done so last year on July 2nd when the international signing period opened. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of other teams, uh, you know, were already under a penalty for having previously gone over their bonus pools. So, like the Cubs, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Yankees, they couldn't offer him more than $300,000 anyway. Uh, So they were out of the mix. Uh, other teams are planning to be aggressive this year on July 2nd and sign 16-year-old kids out of the Dominican Republic and Venezuela for a million, two million, four million dollars. So, uh, they couldn't sign Robert right now unless they were going to, you know, say, you know, give up those commitments which which wasn't going to happen. So, um, the White Sox were kind of the the aberration of the group because they hadn't already done over their bonus pool. So mm-hmm. the, the teams that had already gone over, you know, they they were already uh, they already knew that they were going to be going the next two signing periods without being able to sign any international amateur player for more than $300,000, whereas the White Sox weren't in that penalty range quite yet. Um, so by going over, that actually triggers penalties. So they're, they're now going to be in that same same penalty box of not being able to sign anyone for more than $300,000 for two years once this signing period closes on June 15th. I think the White Sox looked at it as as saying, look, this is uh we're clearly in a rebuild right now and yeah, it, it's it is a big opportunity cost uh to be giving up to sign Luis Robert, but on the other hand, he's, you know, 19, he's turning 20 in August and this is a guy who's going to help them at the major league level a lot faster, you know, even though he's probably like a low-A to high-A type player right now. Sure. Um he's going to get there a lot faster than any 16-year-old kids that they might sign out of the Dominican Republic or Venezuela uh, either this year or, or next year.
0: So so obviously this changes the White Sox outlook and ability to outlay cash on an international level for the next two years, what with the penalties. But do you get the sense that, you know, with the acquisition of Joan Moncada, with going out on the market and bringing in Jose Abreu, do you get the sense that this acquisition of Luis Robert changes the international marketplace's opinion on the White Sox since, you know, over the last decade, 15 years or so, it has gone back and forth and been a little rocky.
1: Um, you know, I think it's, it probably changes, it. if anything, more than anything. I think just the opinion of, of White Sox ownership. I mean, this is a team that has never gone over their international bonus pool. Uh, you know, nobody goes over their draft bonus pool uh, in, in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you think back to the the previous system where you could spend – uh, basically whatever you wanted in the draft uh, before the draft bonus pools were in place, but they had uh, these kind of like recommended slot values from the yeah. commissioner's office. Uh, the White Sox never really were a team to, to go over those slot values. So um, that, you know, that certainly jumped out to me that, I mean, the, the White Sox, you know, international scouts with Marco Patty, and then obviously Rick Hahn and, and Ken Williams must have made a very compelling case to, to ownership to, uh, to get this deal done because I mean if it's you know twenty five million they're gonna have to pay another twenty five million in, in tax. I mean that's a fifty million dollar commitment mm-hmm. uh for uh, for a nineteen year old who's um you know gonna need probably a couple of years in the minor league. So I mean the White Sox have been they've been definitely been more aggressive on, on the international market uh in, in the last couple of years. They've been giving out seven you know, seven figure bonuses uh to guys like Maker Victor Adolfo, uh, Joshua Guerrero, Franklin Reyes, some other guys that they they have in the system. So uh, now they have to uh, shift strategy a little bit and uh, try to find some Try to find some bargains and more uh, some more under the radar or, or overlooked guys in, the, in Latin America for the for the next couple of years.
0: Ben Badler of Baseball America joining us here on White Sox Weekly. So, what kind of player do they get in Luis Robert? What kind of who does he comp to? I don't. I, I hate player comps. I hate asking you guys for player comps because they're they can be so dangerous. But I, the will of the people has spoken. They want their player comps. What what does he look like? <laughs> Uh, what does he possess? What does he need to work on? And I think you mentioned low A, high A-ish kind of start. I wonder what his horizon looks like to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's what stands out immediately. I mean, if, I'm sure you know you guys have all seen the, the videos of him, and uh, he's just physical and, and, and very lean, athletic-type body. Uh, I think that certainly jumps out the most, the, the physicality, the athleticism. Uh, he's got outstanding pack speed. He's got plus raw power. Uh, it's a pretty sound swing, too, from from the right side of the plate. And he moves very well for his size, too. Um, you know, I, I think the the upside is a guy who, you know, maybe can can play center field and, and potentially be a, a middle of the order bat, which I'm sure is what the White Sox are are looking at him, uh, given the price tag on him. Uh, but uh, you know, the, the risk is in. I, I've seen him since he was. 16 years old, and you know, to his credit, I mean, he's always been a very high-level performer, whether it's against kids his own age uh, at international tournaments. Uh, he was at an 1800 tournament. He was 16 years old uh, the first time I saw him uh, playing for for a Cuban junior national team. Uh, he was the you know the leading the Cuban league in, in on base percentage and slugging when he left this year. Mm. Uh, granted, the league has been very watered down by so many players leaving, but. Uh, You can't overlook the the performance, but I think probably the biggest risk that I've seen on him is just swing and miss tendencies, uh, whether it's chasing high fastballs or expanding strike zone sometimes uh, against breaking pitches. Uh, And and the quality of the pitching that he's facing in Cuba is is not very good. I mean, even in their their top league, most guys there right now are are probably throwing mid-80s type fastballs. So uh, that's some risk. And then I I think just remains to be seen – how his uh you know, just how his body develops. I and mean, he's very lean right now. I, when I saw him a couple of years ago, I thought, all right, this guy's just gonna be a physical monster and put on, you know, twenty, forty pounds on his frame and, mm. and move to uh an outfield corner. Um, but he's 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 stayed pretty lean. I he's probably even I think he's gotten even faster since he's left Cuba, so I think there's some chance that he uh he might be able to play center field. It probably depends on you know, who else the White Sox have, uh, you know, in center field or are on the corners by the time he, he is ready, um, whether he, he plays center or moves to a corner. But I think, in you know, he, he doesn't have a great arm, so he'd probably be left field if he does go to a corner. But, you know, if he does go to left field, I think, I would certainly think he has the, the athleticism, the range to be uh, an above-average defender uh, over there too.
0: Where does he fit on your guys' ranking of the the White Sox system as it stands now, and and kind of place him in a in a top 100, I guess prospect-wise? I mean, obviously the Sox have added a ton in the prospect development system, like Moncada and Kopech, Giolito, Lopez, and they had Fulmer. That's probably a top five one way or another, depending on how you slice them. Where does where does Robert fit?
1: Yeah, I mean we have you know Moncada is our, our number one prospect in baseball right now. Uh, so he'd be behind him. I don't think he's as good as Mokata was coming out when, when Mokata uh, initially signed with the Red Sox. Uh, you know, right now we have Ronaldo Lopez at, at 23, Michael Kopech at, at 24. Um, he, he'd probably be somewhere, to me, I, I'd probably put him above those guys, but with the caveat that I'm probably, and I, I like Lopez and I like Kopech, mm-hmm. uh But for me, I, I'd probably have those two guys a little bit lower just because I'm a little bit more. Uh, risk averse on, on pitchers, but, uh, sure. um, I, I think this guy is, is, you know, certainly going to be, I, I would imagine going to be in our, our top 50 prospects when we, uh, shake it all out. I mean, he's not going to be, uh, like a top 10 prospect like Mom was, uh, from, you know, basically from the time that, uh, he signed, but he's, he's certainly going to be one of the, uh, one of the better prospects in the game. You're going to see him on our, our top 100 list right away.
0: And those lists come out pretty quickly, right? I mean, that's uh, you've got that coming out. The whole international signing period is going to be evaluated by Baseball America soon. And You guys have draft coverage uh, throughout the year, but that's all getting hot and bothered right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, we got our we'll have probably our, our midseason top 100 updates coming out uh, right around the Futures game in July. Uh, yeah, like you said before that, previewing the international signing period uh, leading up to July 2nd, which. Uh, I guess for White Sox fans, they will probably be a little bit quieter this year uh, than usual because you're not going to see him sign anyone for more than three hundred thousand dollars. But yeah, but uh, you can just sure they can they're... just
0: listen to the podcast of this interview and everything will be fine. That'll just that will take it right. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it's uh, you know it'll be interesting to see um, you know what if they make any other moves because look the the signing period is still open until uh, the signing period is still open until June fifteenth. Yeah. So. Hey, if they're willing to spend, you know, fifty million dollars, I, I don't know how much more they have in uh in the tank to that they're willing to spend uh going forward. But to me, it, it, the way I see it is it, it's certainly risky to go over your your bonus pool for one player like Robert, and, and they did sign some obviously some other players last year on July second, right. between uh Josué Guerrero, Anderson Comas, uh Luis Mieses, uh, you know, some other guys. So um but to me, you know, there's some other interesting Cuban players out there. Uh, I don't certainly hope to the level of uh, of Luis Robert, but it'll be interesting to see if maybe they sneak somebody else in uh, before the period closes on, on June 15th.
0: Should be fun to watch. Ben, really appreciate you hopping on the show this evening. Have a great weekend and uh, love the coverage, man. Nobody does it like Baseball America. Oh, thanks so much for, for the kind words. I appreciate it. You got it. That is Ben Badler of Baseball America. He is one of the uh, most knowledgeable sources about this kind of thing, the whole international signing, and specifically Cuban markets. And it was awesome to have him on the show tonight. Want to hear what you think. The White Sox have made a pretty emphatic statement, it seems, with the potential signing, the reported signing, the oncoming signing of Luis Robert. 19-year-old Cuban outfield prospect who will, well, not sure exactly where he'll start. We'll have to wait from the club, wait to hear from the club as to where exactly Luis Robert will start his minor league career and what the potential horizon for him looks like. I want to go through some of the things that Ben was talking about here and maybe talk a bit about why Luis Robert is is special in this free agent signing. Maybe the why now is such a special kind of thing in this whole this whole picture. The Young Professionals Council is hosting its second annual Stand Up with the Sox comedy event on June 8th at zanie 's in Old Town comedian Pat McGann is back to host the show with all proceeds benefiting White Sox charities. Visit whitesox.com slash Sox comedy to get your tickets today. Your chance to join the show when we come back. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. News is next. Your calls after that. I'm Connor. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Join us as the White Sox take on the Tigers Saturday, May 27th at 1.10 p.m. The first 20,000 fans will receive a White Sox photo book presented by CSN. Take a look back at the Sox in the 90s with images featuring all-time greats like Frank Thomas, Tim Raines, Bo Jackson, and more. Purchase your tickets today by visiting whitesox.com or calling 866-SOX-GAME. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. We just had a conversation with Baseball America's Ben Badler. We talked about the potential signing, the reported signing of Luis Robert. It's really kind of the news of the afternoon. It is one of the trending topics on Twitter, and you have a chance to talk about it with us here on the show. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. That's 312-591-8900. I guess we'll start here. There had been, I guess, some conversations about how deep the White Sox want to take a rebuild process like this, how much a team that hasn't committed to a process like this in the recent past would really want to commit to it. In Luis Robert, you had a guy out there who's not only a premier prospect, a top 100 type guy, a guy who, you know, depending on who you talk to, we just talked with Ben Badler of baseball America and they've got him a top 50 guy for sure. Likely a top 30 ish type piece. And, probably the second or third best prospect in the White Sox organization. I guess that would kind of depend on when they put their list together and how well Michael Kopech is pitching by the time they put that list together. If you talk to other people like uh, Jim Callis, who does a hell of a job for MLB.com, Baseball Prospectus has their own rankings, that kind of thing, he could be anywhere, Robert could be anywhere as high as a top 20 type prospect in all of baseball. I mean, this is impact kind of talent. And for it, it seems like the White Sox are going to pay impact-type prices. That shouldn't surprise anybody. You look at the money that Yohan Mankata got from the Boston Red Sox, it doesn't seem like it's going to be that much. But it's a lot of money. And the way the system works in case you had kind of let it pass over you or weren't all that concerned about it, considering it's going to be changing come June 15th, that's right, the new CBA kicks in, and that changes how teams... How much money essentially teams are allowed to allot to those international signing eligible kids, and exactly how you're able to sign all of them. Suffice it to say, this was really over the last five or six years. You know, we've seen players like Ioannis Cespedes, Yasiel Puig, Jorge Soler. A role as Chapman really kind of got the ball rolling as far as expensive, high-priced, high talent. Cuban exports, or imports, I guess it would be, into the game of Major League Baseball. A lot of them have panned out. Some are superstars in this game. Some haven't. Some have been signed as older players, where teams were kind of hoping to catch, you know, a current horizon, catch their Major League eligibilities or capabilities right then and there, and plug it into a team. Yuli Gurriel kind of fits that boat with the uh, with the Houston Astros. Not to say that he's. Not playing all that well, but still, you know, fitting in. Kind of a different different MO there. But for Robert, for Luis Robert, the White Sox have seemingly just signed, reportedly just signed, he's going to be the last of this crop, this group of Cuban players that are going to be signed for the money that they've all been signed for. After June 15th of this year, it changes. So for Robert to make this decision, and here's where we're headed on this, for him to make this decision on the very first day, May 20th, he's eligible to make it, is impressive to me. Dan Hayes, CSN Chicago, who does a great job covering the White Sox, he's out in Seattle, has something in his piece about how the White Sox had a, a presentation ready to go for him, featuring guys like Ricky Renaria, who's able to obviously speak Spanish and communicate with Luis Robert, who speaks, I'm guessing, mostly Spanish. Jose Abreu, Joan Moncada in this, you know, kind of video presentation to Robert is to pitch this team to him. He's not the first, obviously, Cuban talent that the White Sox have brought in, whether you want to look at Mancada himself, who uh, argue, uh, agreeably was a, a trade. Jose Abreu, a free agent guy. You can go back to Alessio Ramirez, Cuban guy coming out. I guess we forgot to mention that in the initial crop, too, though he wasn't probably as highly valued when he signed as some of the other guys we mentioned. Certainly turned out to be an impact player for the White Sox for quite some time. I think what has a lot of White Sox fans excited about Luis Robert is where he fits into the rest of the prospect window, for lack of a better term. There are a lot of kids, whether it be Zach Collins, whether it be – Mancada himself, whether it be some of the other younger pitchers, Dane Dunning, Ronaldo Lopez, guys who are in this window of coming up in the next year or so, talking year of baseball, not necessarily calendar year, year of baseball. And and making an impact, starting to develop, starting their major league developments. Now, we talked with Ben Badler and it, it does seem that though, you know, he's nineteen, not Badler, Robert, and it's gonna take a little bit of time for him to develop. And we'll have to wait to hear from the White Sox exactly where they'll start their newest acquisition in the minor leagues or exactly when he'll start. You know, a lot of these guys coming over, and I believe Robert is one of them, haven't played all that competitive a baseball lately because the immigration process, the immigration process, I guess, is kind of a long and convoluted one or at least has been in the past. I'm sure you're familiar with. Stories of Jose Abreu's trip over here and uh, others, many, many other trips over here that have been somewhat harrowing and complicated and of legal issues. Yasiel Puig's comes to mind. Uh, I mean, my goodness, there are a lot of stories involved. But once those players typically get here, there's there's not necessarily like a league for them to get into and play competitive baseball, whether you know at any level. You know, they're not signed with a team. There aren't, you know, independent leagues that they can go play at. There aren't high schools that want to sign them on. In a lot of cases, unless you come over, you know, exceptionally early, like at the age of 15 or 16, something like that, maybe you're able to get in there then. But for Robert, it's it's kind of there's going to be an assessment period, I would imagine, as to exactly where and when he fits and how quickly his horizon comes around. But to add a player like that, look, it's it's no mystery that the White Sox are deep in pitching prospects right now that the main depth of this rebuild as it exists right now is with arms, is in arms. And just because they're pitchers, there's some risk there. Any organization that's got to look at the Mets, right? Just the major league rotation that they've put together. They have had injury after injury to that rotation. They're pitchers. That's the risk in stockpiling all of those arms. To say nothing of the fact that figuring out whether or not you've got a guy who's going to make it to the big leagues and make it big is a difficult business in and of itself. You put arm on that starting pitcher. It's kind of tough to make that evaluation in the long-term Pull As the White Sox stock more bats or look for more bats, there really wasn't anything out there that made as much sense as diving into the Luis Robert sweepstakes made sense. Here's what it does from a practical standpoint. Here's what we know about what the White Sox have reportedly committed to. I don't have a number for you right now, but going off reports from Jeff Pass in Yahoo Sports, who's damn good at his job, Ken Rosenthal, who I you don't need to know his credentials. He's the best in the business. It's going to be somewhere in that $20, 25000000 million range. Because the White Sox are going over their – cap number, their allotted space, their international signing pool, you've got to pay 100% tax on it. So for whatever they sign him for, you'll have to pay that again as a tax. Same situation that the Boston Red Sox were in with Yohan Mankata when they signed him. They did make a trade today, the White Sox. They shipped Alec Katz, Alex Katz, my apologies, Alex Katz, a reliever, to the Baltimore Orioles. In return, they got two international signing slots that all amount to about $750,000. So you can think of that as essentially, a, I guess, a rebate on the Luis Robert signing. That money kind of comes off the initial layout. It allows them to have more pool space. They had about a million dollars in pool space as it was. So that gives them a little bit more, which helps on the back end of the tax because it's not a you know one-for-one one money. It's, the, the tax is a lot. Still, though, it's a power move by the White Sox. It is. It's in case you were concerned about the commitment to this, this ought to assuage that concern. I think it's a, it's a wonderful addition for a White Sox system that has added a boatload of premier talent and fast, and they could do more. There is more potentially for them on the horizon, and we've been talking about that since SoxFest back in January. we got a ball game to go to at some point tonight with pregame show starts at 840, 910 first pitch. It'll be Mike Pelfrey on the bump for the White Sox and Giovanni Gallardo for the Mariners. We've got more White Sox conversation coming up on the other side. In fact, we'll talk with a, uh, an actual White Sox player, Anthony Swarzak, who has been off to one heck of a start this season, Sure, he gave up the three-run shot to Mike Trout, but he's Mike Trout, and you're not. But he that's the only three runs he's given up all season long. Strikeouts have been ridiculous, and he is the subject, the latest subject, of uh, what I think Fangraphs put together was the next best arm in baseball that you haven't heard of quite yet. That's my headline, not theirs. They've probably got a better one. We'll talk with Anthony Swarzak on the other side of a quick break here. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. So, welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got a great show for you. I already talked with Ben Badler of Baseball America about the reported signing of Luis Robert, Robert, Luis Robert by the White Sox. It could change. Who knows? Carlos is Yolmer now. There are no rules. MLB.TV Premium is back and better than ever. Watch every out of market regular season game live on over 400 supported devices. Plus, get a free subscription at that premium, the number one app for live baseball. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. We'll get to the lineup for this White Sox-Mariners game a little bit later this evening. Uh, after the 7.30 news, we'll talk with James Feegan of The Athletic. He is in Seattle and talking with folks about the news of the day, which is the reported signing of Luis Robert. But I, earlier in the week, had a chance to chat with White Sox reliever Anthony Swarzak, who's holding down the fort, along with Tommy Canely and David Robertson, while Zach Putnam, Jake Patricka and Nate Jones are all out with injury. Swarzak has been all things for the White Sox bullpen. He's been long man. He's been shut down guy. He's been strikeout dude. He's been situational reliever. It's pretty impressive. Uh, and I just wanted to chat with him about what the role has been like to start the season and what being on a role like he's been on feels like too. So, Anthony, let's start with this. The bullpen the White Sox have run out there over the first month and a half of the season has been by and large lights out. You've been a huge part of that. I wonder at what point in spring training, when you stepped into the White Sox organization, did you think that you guys had that kind of ability, that kind of run to get out there and do this thing?
2: Uh, I'd say day one, honestly. I mean, there's everybody's kind of there for a reason, you know, and uh, we got a lot of power arms in spring training, and Saw it every day, day in and day out. You know, somebody was throwing the ball at some point, and uh, you had to just watch. Uh, you know, we got some impressive arms in this organization, and everything's kind of clicking right now for us.
0: What is it? What's been for you, kind of the biggest shift? I mean, obviously, you, you give one up to Mike Trout, that happens. You're going to have that. The run up to then, and then after that, it's that's all what you've been doing. Mixing in a slider more, the fastball velos up. Is it any one thing that's necessarily clicked for you in this role with the Sox?
2: I can't necessarily say it's one thing as much as it's just a accumulation of things happening at one time, if that makes sense, you know. It's just, sure. You know, everything's kind of everything's kind of just falling into place for me right now. I'm, you know, some greatest shape of my life, uh, you know, feeling good. I'm a little older now, a little more experienced. Um, I'll have a little bit more history with every hitter that I'm kind of facing, and uh, yeah, I'm throwing more sliders too. So I think everything's just kind of working for me.
0: Is there a difficulty, and and not necessarily like not something that couldn't have been overcome, but or or hasn't been already, obviously. But in working the role that you've been working, sometimes it's one batter, sometimes it's an inning and a third, sometimes it's two or three innings, and it seems like you know Ricky and and Coop have you in that role because you're so valuable doing all of those different things what's the difficulty in doing that
2: um it's the it's the same same thing that is difficult pitching at any time it's just consistency mm-hmm. you know some some people do it better than others but um you just got to stay ready you stay prepared and uh everything else will take care of itself you know you tend to have the worst outings when uh you're not really prepared you kind of get caught off guard in the bullpen really so you want to just make sure you're ready from the first inning on. And when that phone rings, go out there and give them your best.
0: Is is that why guys will tell you or, or maybe former bullpen guys will look at you who have been out of the game and, and now do the commentary thing that defined roles in a bullpen are necessary? Or do you think that maybe we're getting to a point where, you know, being ready on a daily basis, if you've had the role like you've had, is more commonplace?
2: I think that having a defined role in the bullpen is crucial when you're talking about the late innings, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, eighth or ninth inning, something like that, Uh, premier lefty setup guy. I think those are all roles that need to be defined. Um, But I also feel like um, there's just more value put on those guys that are in the middle of the bullpen now more than ever before. And I think that's what we're seeing now in baseball.
0: When you're in a situation like the Sox bullpen is in with a guy like Nate Jones going down and Putnam and Petrischka all early on, What's the conversation like as as a group as you see injuries kind of hit you some, but know that that you're in, you can put your team in a chance to win ball games?
2: yeah i mean we we had some early injuries, you know we had three guys uh pretty pretty good for the White Sox the last few years go down uh in a hurry, so uh, you know luckily, I was right there to uh get a get a little extended look and get a little more opportunity than maybe I would have had if that wasn't the case and uh, I tried to do my best with it.
0: What is with injuries to veterans comes rookies, young kids into the bullpen. And I know that there are some time-honored traditions with giving those rookies, well, a rough time, I suppose. Who's been, who's been the most fun to have fun with so far?
2: You know what? We, uh, we don't really pick on any rookies or treat any rookies like rookies. Okay. Uh, All right. You know, that's not that. No, it's really, it's really not our style, man. We, uh, we can't do that because, you know, those rookies are going to have to pitch for us and it's, it's, One of those situations where we kind of have talked about we want everybody to feel as comfortable as possible here and make it just as tight group as possible because that's going to make the game easier. You know, the hardest thing to do at the major league level is to slow the game down and to actually relax during the game. And anything we can do to help those rookies with that is is what we're going to do. And right now we think it's just by making them feel comfortable and accepted and, and everybody's having a good time.
0: That's that's an impressive outlook on things because a lot of teams will, you know, they'll say that and then have like the pink backpack or the door of the Explorer thing that guys will have to drag out there or whatever it happens to be. But, I mean, that's, you really have, and I guess Ricky's done this too. Gregory Infante comes up and pitches two straight days as soon as he's with the ball club. I mean, that's that's the kind of reliance you've had on those younger kids.
2: No, absolutely. And, and he's done a really well, good job. This guy's got a power arm. And, uh, you know, He's a little bit older than people think he is, so sure. he's got some experience, and, and I think he's going to do good things for us.
0: Anthony, really appreciate you hanging out with us here on the show. Congratulations on the hot start, and keep it up. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the support, guys. You got it, man. That is Anthony Swarzak, White Sox reliever who went 19 and two-thirds before he allowed a run, only three so far this season. And really, you know, as we kind of shift gears back to the Major League Ball Club after kind of focusing on... Luis Robert and the reported signing that the White Sox are going to make with him. You know, over the last couple of games, there there have been some losses. The West Coast wasn't any fun or hasn't been any fun for the White Sox so far. Last night was a blast, though. Came back with one run in the 10th and won that ballgame, so that was pretty good. And about as well as Jose Quintana has pitched all season long. No, that's that's, it's as well as Jose Quintana has pitched all season long. He was absolutely masterful. Eight innings, seven strikeouts, one hit, one run. If you missed the postgame show last night, uh, we found out that that was the first time the White Sox have allowed just one hit and that hit was a triple, so that's kind of interesting. And it was also the first time that the White Sox had allowed just one hit in a game that had gone extras. Just kind of Jose Jose Quintana's lot in life that that run comes into score on a sack fly, and he gets saddled with a no decision. Important part is the White Sox got the win, and that bullpen last night had David Robertson come out for two clean innings. But up until that run, you know, I mean, it was – it had been Tommy Canley and it had been Anthony Swarzak, and even before that, Nate Jones got his head screwed on after walking a couple early, and he, you know, he was actually in a really good spot uh, after a couple of those walks. I remember talking with him in the dugout and just really feeling good about where things were at with his fastball command and kind of feeling a slider. Some Robertson has been good. That bullpen has kept them in a lot of games, and as well as Jose Quintana has pitched over the last eh, two, three, two, three starts. They've needed some help from that back end to fill things out. We have the break coming up. News at 730. And just after that, we'll talk with James Fegan of The Athletic. He is in Seattle and has the latest on the White Sox. And, yeah, probably we'll talk a little bit more about the White Sox signing Luis Robert. That's all next. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got about an hour until, no, sorry, two hours. This whole West Coast thing is really throwing me off. Um, that's what I'm going to keep blaming it on. Two hours until game time between the White Sox and Mariners. 9-10 is our start, which isn't two hours. I'm going to stop doing math on the show. My producers are looking at me like I'm an absolute idiot. And probably probably our next guest will treat me just the same. It's James Feigen of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter. At F. E. G. A. N. James, what's up, man? Thanks for coming on.
3: Man, I can't believe we're going to have to wait another two hours for the game.
1: Sorry.
0: Yeah, you are. You're going to have to wait another two hours to do the phone call, too. We're just going to leave you on hold. We're going to sit here in oh. silence for two hours and not do My anything. My whole day is ruined. What was your day like up until I ruined it? This was a, uh, a big one for news and a big one for the White Sox, it seems. What can you tell us about how... Players and coaches and folks in the front office you've spoken to are reacting to the reports today.
3: Uh, this is an alarming way to wake up. Uh, <laughs> 80 messages. Um, it's not official yet, so everyone is being pretty guarded. No one's really uh, you know, acknowledging it in an open way. So at this point, it's still all technically rumors and conjecture. Uh, we talked to Jose Rayo a little bit about it. And he more just discussed that he participated in the recruitment process. He made a a video. uh, He was part of a video they they made, Luis Robert, where he talked about the way the White Sox have respected and treated Cuban players over their history and how they are are very sensitive to um, their issues as people and it's a good place for him to be. But he also said, you know, I don't know. Uh, I hope he's here. Um, I would like to play for him. That'd be nice. But uh, I didn't know it was official. So everyone's still being pretty on guard. You know, uh, Rick Renneria said he couldn't comment on the situation sure. directly. So well, it's, I, it's still kind of a, a little secret between all of us uh, writers. We we all so, know and they can't like say Bob anything, us. right? I'm sure that's how it works.
0: I, I wonder then... are be
3: watching the Titanic before the game, so yeah. you know, they couldn't be <laughs> disturbed on this.
0: <laughs> I, I wonder, you know, because it, the, the Cuban connection that the White Sox have had, you know, it's not like other teams don't have... A good number of Cuban players. Um, there are more in systems around the league than just the guys at the major league system, but the White Sox do have a number of them, uh, a number of Cuban players at the major league system or have had some. Alice Ramirez, you know, you go through the list, it, it goes back a long ways. What do you, it came down to the White Sox and the Cardinals, it seems. The Cardinals have uh, led Ms. Diaz and a couple of the Cuban guys. Do you, do you sense that that connection means more? Because of the guys the White Sox do have, I don't mean to take shot. It's you know guys I don't know, but Jose Abreu was really well respected around the island there and here in the Cuban baseball playing community.
3: It can only help, and it, it's not even so much. I mean, it's obviously the people that they they brought on are, are well respected, but I think it's been very public the way they've treated them, the way they've been sensitive to their personal issues, the way they've managed. Uh, Jose Brady being separated from his son and try to aid him and support him as much as they can. Uh, the way they've given, uh, they gave a lot of personal time to, you know, Alistair Ramirez when he was dealing with some uh, issues uh, with his family. It's all been very public. It's all been very, uh, you know, well received abroad. And I, I think that can only help. It, it's not like they, uh, you know, gave some extremely low ball deals to Robert and they were able to pull him just on right. you know, nice graces. And, you know, I, Having a Spanish-speaking manager, they they definitely had to be highly competitive and in their bid, and definitely had to raise their stakes along with everyone else who was competing for them. But I, it can only help to to have the reputation that they have.
0: We're talking with James Fegan of the Athletic, you can find his stuff on Twitter, J.R. Fegan, or at theathletic.com. dot com. I just uh, I just read your piece on the the signing of the reported signing of Luis Robert, and I I wonder this: What do you make of the White Sox? organizationally maybe for lack of a better term that they've reportedly made this commitment to this player in this market before the current CBA expires i mean there are a lot of there are a lot of spices in this gumbo that make it a pretty interesting one
3: yeah i mean it really shows you that they must have this high view of robert and his talent and view him as a you know once every few years type of player to come out of cuba because they're basically, you know, stepping aside for the next two seasons uh, internationally, at least from any kind of major big ticket prospects, and they're kind of taking a risk they didn't need to take in a way that you know other teams competing in the field for Robert, uh, you know, weren't really having to consider. So it speaks to the degree of belief that they must have in this prospect, mm-hmm. and also speaks to the degree that they understand that this is their time to load up as much as possible. They're not going to be making big free agent outlays now is the time to really just put everything uh you know fully forward to acquiring prospect depth acquiring high level high ceiling talent, just, you know, stacking the system on it because there's a lot of guys who aren't gonna hit their ceiling, aren't going to get uh what maybe we expect them to do now. And they need to basically layer up and have as many as possible. So, you know, even if they get like a fifty percent hit rate on the prospect, they got enough guys to put out a fully stacked talented roster and Three four years.
0: Man, you look through systems in baseball, and even if it's just the top ten systems, if they all hit at a 50% rate, they consider themselves some of the best, you know, systems that have ever produced talent. I mean, that's that'd be a great rate, and and that's how you yeah, have to kind of assemble it.
3: Absolutely, that's that's probably shooting high as well, far sure as uh, people who actually uh, are going to produce what we think their ceilings are right now. But uh, you you just have to approach it knowing there's going to be a lot of attrition. You can't look at, uh, say, the uh, Adam Eaton trade and think if Lucas Giolito isn't an ace, it's a failure. That's the reason you layer and stack uh, guys who have starting uh, rotation potential. So if you get one starting pitcher and two relievers out of that, that that's yeah, still a huge yeah. infusion of the talent into your pitching core.
0: Where does Robert fit horizon-wise with the rest of the White Sox prospects? Do you have a sense talking to scouts and, and front office people as to where? he fits in the White Sox top ten and and where he might start and what kind of processes he's going to have to take before he's playing real competitive ball at the minor league level?
3: Well, one thing I did uh, talk to Jose Brady a little bit is, you know, Robert's a guy who hasn't been playing regular games for a while now. That's just the nature of how long it takes to come over, how you're stuck playing showcases for a while. And it's a big adjustment to start playing again regular games while you're, uh, you know, acclimating yourself to a new level of competition. And he says that's that's a big demand and that requires a lot of hard work to really prepare yourself for it. From what, from my stance on it, I'm someone who's a bit more aggressive on Kopech. The scouts I talk to uh, are a bit more aggressive on Kopech uh, than maybe, say, Baseball America, which has them more like in the 25 range. Right. So from my standpoint, I would put Robert three behind Kopech just because I believe in the, the ceiling on that guy being basically – the biggest frontline starter prospect that they have in the system. Um but that view is a view that has Kopech as a top 10, fifteen prospect in the game. If you think Pro Kopech is more twenty five, then Robert's probably your number two guy. And really one of the big reasons I would put Robert behind is just he's nineteen, he's younger, he's farther away from the majors. Um most people talk about him starting in high A or low A. Um I would I would bet on the White Sox being high A because the you know typically they're more aggressive, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know they take them slow because they are taking things more slowly this uh you know this time around, and I, they kind of surprised me more than a couple times already up on on how newly uh patient they are
0: well, and they've got a couple of uh a couple of outfielders at that level that they seem to believe in um so it'd be kind of interesting to see. You know, this is kicking a can way down the line and looking a little bit more forward than we ought, but it it'd be really interesting to see how a guy like Robert fits in defensively to say nothing of where in the lineup but defensively how he gets played into some of those outfields I mean there are some decent players down there
3: yeah uh most scouts he hasn't been playing center field exclusively uh you know uh in Cuba and Generally, the way the difficulty of center field at the major league level, anyone who's not playing center field all the time yeah. as they're coming up, you kind of worry about how they are long-term. And given how much power and how much strength he's projected to have, he's a kind of a guy you can see moving to corner um, if there's any difficulty with him playing defense. But he has big time plus speed and big time plus athleticism, and he's still kind of a lean frame at this point. So people think he could play center field. Um, I would think, given his importance in the White Sox system, that they're going to try to find somewhere to give him a shot to do that. Mm-hmm. But they also got Luis Vosabi to worry about. And I don't, I, obviously, I don't think uh, Robert's a bit more of a priority than that, but it, it could take some work to find a home for everyone to get the reps that they want.
0: Good problems to have. Those are really good problems to have for a system. Let's uh let's go to the major leagues uh just a little bit here, as we've talked a lot about Luis Robert to start this uh to start the show tonight. Yolmer Sanchez is in the leadoff spot for Ricky Renteria. Um I think you and I and Dan Hayes had a conversation in spring training about how much it seemed Ricky Renteria liked Yolmer Sanchez, just the versatility of the player, the little pop he's got, the whole thing. I mean, this is a one heck of a run that Yolmer has been on of late. Is this a is this anything other than hot bat in the lineup kind of deal, or, or is this has the, I don't know, outlook on Yolmer changed?
3: Well, to some degree you could say Yolmer has a hot bat because he has like a 400 bat right now. Right. Uh, Ricky will not kind of open up to the idea that Yolmer has like pushed his way into the lineup or that he's playing Yolmer more than he'd anticipate, even though at this point I think uh, Tyler Saladino has had more than a few days off in a row. He's He's a guy who says, you know, Everyone in the organization knew Yolmer could do this
2: mm-hmm. uh,
3: for the entire time. And yolmer has been a guy who's been up and down the majors. This is his fourth year as a major leaguer. It's just crazy to think because he's 24 years old. Yeah. So they would tell us that they always thought Yolmer could produce this level. They always thought Yolmer could, you know, play on a consistent basis. Ricky says he's not surprised by it. And Ricky says he's not, you know, riding a hot bat. He's just giving a guy opportunities. And, you know, he's pleased that Yolmer's taking advantage of him. But not that you know. Yolmer was guy we were never gonna play, but he's hitting. And now, now we now we uh, are gonna start him every day. That's not really the approach they have. They just think he's part of their mix, and that they like their mix, and that you know Saladino will be back, and they expect him to start hitting again at some point. And they're just happy with everyone. You know, <laughs> talking to Ricky.
0: How is kind uh, of the way he is? How's Lurie Garcia feeling?
3: Uh Lurie is still a little stiff. He did get in the game late last night. Uh Ricky said it was kind of a situation where. They were, they wanted the extra outfield range, and, you know, if they got into a situation where Lurie had to throw, they were probably already in trouble. <laughs> so, they, so they opted for playing him uh, in center last night, but that he's still a little stiff. Um, there's no talk at this point of it being kind of a long-term injury or even the disabled list stint, which within 10 days now doesn't even have to be a long-term injury. Sure. So I think Lurie thought he was going to play today. I would, wouldn't be surprised if he played tomorrow. I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him another day off, but it doesn't seem like a major thing.
0: With uh, with Jose Quintana looking as good as Jose Quintana looked last night, eight innings, one hit, run, run, you know, gets the no decision, kind of a typical Jose Quintana night, seven strikeouts. I, is this just a – are guys saying that's Q, that's, you know, this is – like the reaction is, is kind of null in that that's Jose Quintana and that's who we expect to be out there every day?
3: Of course, and you know they said that when he was struggling too that they yeah. they expect him to be fine and bounce back in a given moment. And given Jose Quintana's track record and history, I kind of expected you know some normalcy to come through as well. But at the same time, you know we were watching the same game last night. That was that was a bit different guy than we've seen this year. That was a way better uh, command of the curveball than he's Agreed. had on some days. Agreed. Agreed. Through a three-two changeup to Nelson Cruz, he's been kind of a you know very hesitant to use a changeup. Uh, all season, so for him to pump it down that moment, the sixth inning, to finish off the most dangerous bat in the lineup, that, that says something to me as well. Um, he's been talking about adding it a bit more, but it's been fits and starts, so to see him start to become more of a three-pitch pitcher, which, you know, it, it speaks to his uh, talent and command that he can do so much just being fastball, curveball, mm-hmm. but I think the best version of him has that changeup in his back pocket, so it's definitely nice and encouraging to see him do that last night in big situations
0: it'll be interesting to see too with Giovanni Soto out you know a a veteran catcher out who he kind of gloms onto or how quickly I should say because I think he'll work with both at least it seems like that to me but how quickly he kind of brings in Kevin Smith and Omar Narvaez into the here's the here's the cue camp here's what we like to do around these parts here's how we like to get hitters out and that kind of familiarity that kind of comfort can only help a guy
3: I think for uh, the young catchers, Quintana is kind of like driving a Maserati for your your first driver test. Sure. Somebody who can command their pitches that well, who can hit their spots, I think makes everything a lot easier because you don't have to work through as much of a process of what's going to work, what spots can they actually hit. Um, You know, Kevin Smith is not a guy who's lauded for, you know, big-time offense or seen as like a super, uh, you know, framing god or anything like that. But if you talk to Kevin Smith, that guy is – super superlative baseball smart. Yeah. So I think he'll, he'll be a good match with
0: Quintana. James, appreciate you hanging out on the show. Uh, appreciate the information. And you can check out, if you have missed or have not read James' piece, on the reported signing of Luis Robert, head over to The Athletic or cruise over to his handle on Twitter, J.R. Fegan, and read it because you should. It's very good. Thanks, James. All right, thanks. All right, take it easy, man. Uh, That is James Vegan of The Athletic. We have him on the show every now and again, and thank him for doing so. You can hop on the show, too, 312-591-8900, 312-591-8900. A little time for your phone calls after this. Uh, We are going to have a conversation with Ryan McGuffey of CSN Chicago. The network is going to run a whole series called, uh, oh gosh, what's it called? Oh, my gosh, this is a terrible time for me to space on the name of the show. Crossroads? No. Oh, my God, that's a show on MTV. Hold on, I'll figure it out. Don't worry. This is what a commercial break is for, for me to figure out what the heck I'm doing. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AMA 90. Have you ever wanted the chance to enjoy a picnic in the outfield of Guaranteed Rate Field? Meet 2017 White Sox team members and talk to White Sox alumni. Well, now is your chance. Join us on Sunday, June 25th for Picnic in the Park. All proceeds benefit White Sox Charities. To purchase tickets, visit whitesoxcharities.org. You've got White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. And we've got about a half an hour, well, 45 minutes of show left for you, I guess. We'll talk with Ryan McGuffey of CSN Chicago. He is a producer there. I actually... Uh, I interned at CSN Chicago back in the day when I first moved – well, I grew up here, I guess, and then moved back to town after, well, bouncing around for a little while. First job was interning at CSN Chicago, and Guth was working there. He works uh, closely alongside a an editor there who is absolutely fantastic, Sarah Locke. And you've seen her stuff on CSN. You've seen Guff's too. They do all – the good stuff on CSN Chicago. Anything good, they've been attached to it one way or another. Them and Kevin Anderson. They've got a great team over there putting stuff together. Um, Sarah and Ryan McGuffey helped uh, Serena Santos do the Jose Abreu piece where he went back to Cuba. Watched that a little while ago, and it is always... Watching that, it is always remarkable to me to, me, to watch Jose go back, to have, to have to watch him return home, and the... Sheer joy. I don't, I don't know how else to, the sheer joy that that people greeted him with in his return. So these guys are doing another documentary. It's called Cornerstones on CSN Chicago. Cornerstones, not crossroads. That's a Tom Petty something, probably. I don't know. It's called Cornerstones, and it starts Monday night at seven o'clock. The second piece is seven thirty on Monday night, and then you can just flip over to WLS AM 890 for the White Sox pregame show. Real easy, two switches, all you got to do, and we'll get you set for White Sox baseball on Monday night. But they decided to go through the whole minor league system of the White Sox. I mean, Canapolis and Winston-Salem, Birmingham and Charleston, the whole thing, and talk to the players that make up a, a vaunted White Sox farm system. So we wanted to talk to the guy who produced the whole thing, who put it all together, and, you know, Guff's a guy, Ryan McGuffey knows baseball as well. He's out there at the park a lot producing other stuff as well. And and we talked about, you know, media in baseball, some other stuff. We, we talked a couple of days ago, and I wanted to bring you the interview because it, it got a little wide-ranging. We talked a lot about some White Sox prospects that you may have heard of, some that you may not have heard of, and it was a really good chat. So we'll bring that to you in just a couple of minutes after the 8 o'clock news. This is White Sox Weekly. Don't lose the phone number, 312-591-8900. Still got time for you there. Uh, probably about 8.15 or so. We'll throw some calls around before we get to the pregame show. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. So it's our pleasure to have on White Sox Weekly a friend of the show. I can say that because basically we just we force him to listen to it every once in a while. It's Ryan McGuffey of CSN Chicago, who you know from many, many productions. Uh, he was one of the geniuses behind, I believe, the, the Jose Abreu trip to Cuba that you and... Uh, uh, that, that you guys put together over there. I know Sarah Locke and you work hand-in-hand together. That was immaculately done. Congratulations, sir. And now your next Thank project you. is a trip through the White Sox minor league system. Looking forward to it.
4: Yeah. Uh, Monday night, the White Sox cornerstones, we went to spend a week down in the in the system and hit three of the four affiliates, Charlotte, Birmingham, and High A, Winston-Salem, and were able to talk to 10 of the 11 top prospects in the White Sox system. So there's a lot of good stuff.
0: So when you go through, and for those White Sox fans who aren't necessarily as familiar with your work as, as maybe people in the biz are, I mean you're a little bit behind the scenes. But either way, this is you're you're kind of a storyteller. You kind of craft the thing, a producer as it were. What do you look for when you go down and try and do a story like this that could be, you know, otherwise it could be just one on one with this guy, one on one, move on and move forward that kind of idea.
4: Yeah, I mean you said it you said it really well right there. My my idea and my goal in all of this is to kind of bring personality out of these guys so that White Sox fans will get a chance to see who are these guys. Like, yeah, we can look at the box score and see Yoan Mankato at 2-3 for with a homer and three RBIs and a slash line's 340 with a 420 on base. And that's that's great. That's what we want when you look at a White Sox box score one day. But when these guys come up, you know, other than somebody telling us that this guy's a top overall prospect in baseball and Michael Kopech throws a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, who is Michael Kopech, Who is Johan Mankata? And who are these guys? So my goal was to say, hey, okay, look, let's go down there and try to figure out a way to get these guys to open up a little bit about who they are, how they got here, and what they you know, what their plan is when they get to Chicago. I think we did a pretty good job of accomplishing that in a short amount of time because we were able to get a lot of guys outside the facility. Uh, we rode the bus with the Birmingham Barons after a road game in Montgomery, Alabama, back up home to Birmingham. That was obviously very unique to have a camera <laughs> on a bus, just to be on the bus, but to have a camera and be walking around the bus doing interviews with guys after a road trip to go back home. You got a different side than than you would have, had, you know, had you interviewed, you know, like, like you do you know, when you interview Don Cooper every game. I mean, it's just, sure. you're just getting him in the dugout. It's going to be a little bit different than you are if you're getting him. Maybe he's a little more comfortable and maybe a little more he's got his laptop open. He's just having a conversation. So, you know, we walked to work with um, Zach Birdie and Carson Fulmer at Charlotte. We walked from their apartment to the ballpark that one day and just talked about things off the field too. And, you know, Zach Collins we had lunch with, and him and his teammate Tanner Banks, a pitcher, and that was like a 60-minute comedy show. And we got a really good, you know, way to see a guy's personality and who he is we were just kind of you know, shooting the breeze with these guys that's not necessarily in uniform, buttoned up, 10 minutes before BP.
0: I, I was, we're talking with Ryan McGuffey of CSN Chicago, who has put together this uh, a series that's going to go in-depth in the White Sox minor league system, Monday, 7 p.m. on CSN. And then the second one, I believe it airs right after, right? 7 and then 7.30, right into yep. our White Sox pregame show here on WLSAM 890. Uh, but <laughs> But other than that, I've always thought, and I got this advice from somebody in the biz when I when I took this job. Like, when you go to spring training, find a minor leaguer, find a number of them, and and get them early. Talk to them early because getting these guys, these ball players, to understand that you're a human being as much as you are, you know, a, a microphone in a hand, is important for when they, you know, get to the big leagues as they move up later on. Did you see? That these guys are are different types of people than the finished products we'll end up getting in a couple of years.
4: Uh, there's no doubt. I mean, I think a, a little bit is just because like they don't know any better, right? I mean, yeah. at this point, they're they've they haven't had a lot of um, they've had a lot of attention just via print and and a lot of buzz, but in terms of like cameras being in their face, and I know you were down in Indianapolis a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, there was a lot of print guys there, but there wasn't really like. An overwhelming, you know, Chicago-type camera in their face every single day. So while that wasn't foreign to have the attention, it might have been a little foreign to have that kind of, you know, coverage and stuff in the minor leagues. But what I will say is that these guys are way better equipped for that kind of stuff than I actually thought they would be. I, really? There's been some media training. There's been no doubt about it. And these guys have this. Uh God, I don't know. There's like there's a there's an affection towards them when you get done with them and you're just like, Wow, I mean I want to root for this guy because you know, Michael Kopeck talks like he's been in the league ten years. And I told him that. I said, You talk like a guy who's had perspective, a guy that yeah. struggled at the big league level and has had success at the big league level, but you're you just turned twenty one. Like, how has that happened? And you know, Zach Collins is he's sitting there doing the math of what they're making. You know, they get $1,000 a month at the single A level, and he's doing the math. So, this goes to rent and this goes to car payments. And yeah, did he get a $3 million signing bonus? Yes, but he's looking after for the 24 guys on the team who didn't. Right. Saying, hey, look, right. this is the stuff that we juggle down here that people don't talk about, that these guys were all trying to chase our dream and trying to make ends meet. So, I just thought it was really unique that they were all able to kind of really think like, you ask them a question. They kind of ingest it, think about it, and actually gave you a legitimate long form answer where it made you think too and sometimes, as you know, just hearing these guys a 10 second sound bite is there's not a lot of meat and potatoes there, and you're trying to really make some chicken salad and in this case, there's not a lot of chicken salad because there's a lot of steak and potatoes and I was really uh, impressed with that when I walked away so not just from like not just from the guys at aAA i 'm talking about all the way down.
0: Let me ask you a more broad question. Maybe not necessarily centered on these two that are going to air on Monday, 7 p.m. and then 7:30, but maybe more in general. Because I was, I, I was really taken aback by the piece you guys did that CSN did on Jose Abreu when you guys went over to Cuba, and and I would imagine that there's a certain degree of, if there's a camera, if and you're behind the lens, whether you're producing the documentary or, or whomever is, there's an, a knowledge like you know an observed person isn't the same person. It may be close. But they know they're being watched and they're going to act a little differently. But in that, especially in the piece that you guys did with, with Jose in Cuba, there was so much honesty to it. There was so much realism to it, I think, because people were so probably joyous to see him in the first place. I wonder, you know, when you're shooting stuff like this, do you have an eye for, for when you get as close to that, that kind of truth as as you've gotten at times?
4: No doubt, and I think part of that has happened just as i've I've gotten older and my career has taken you know I've kind of settled into what this storytelling role is. I mean, it used to be for me it was like, okay, let's we have to get the interview, and once you got the interview, you were just so excited that, okay, we got the interview. you didn't really think about what it looked like, how you got it, right. who's in the way, what the sound was like in the background. And that has all changed. I mean, that's just that's you're not going to get that intimacy that you're talking about. And I know specifically with that Jose Abreu interview, we did that interview I think at like 6:45 a.m. Central Time in Cuba. So we were at this beautiful hotel, like right on the right on the water, but there was nobody out there. I mean, this is Jose Abreu, who's you know like the son of Cuba, and we had this kind of the camera was almost just kind of like an innocent bystander that really wasn't in the way. You know what I mean? Whereas have you have If you sit Jose Abreu down right now at third base at guaranteed rate field, he's going to feel the lights and the camera and kind of like the swell of, you know, people looking at him. And, and there, I think it almost, in a sense, because we were in Cuba and just all of the political lines that were crossed just to get there, it almost felt like we did that interview in his living room. And wow. when you're in your living room, you know, when you and I are in our living rooms, we're way more comfortable and probably – happier to tell you stuff that we wouldn't be as happy to tell you if you're sitting in your studio as we are right now. And I'm sitting over at CSN. I just, we're a little bit more buttoned up and I felt like in those case, in that case specifically, and just in these cases, my goal is to always try to get in the living room without, you know what I mean? Like I know it's not always going to be in the living room, but I kind of feel like if I could do the best I can to make a guy feel comfortable and make a guy feel like he's at home, then we're going to get exactly what we want. And then some, because this guy is going to feel like, hey, look, these guys are just their job. Like they want, they really care about who I am and what I want to be and what my goals are, not just focus specifically on, hey, I saw this video where you threw 103, and hey, what's it going to be like when you get to the big leagues, and what did you feel like when you got traded? Like those are, you know, th- those feel kind of just your more broad, generic questions, and I, just, I try to go way beyond that, and I think, I hope. The people you know, kind of feel the same way when they're watching these Cornerstone shows.
0: You guys have, I'm talking with Ryan McGuffey of CSN Chicago, before we get out of here, you guys have a secret weapon in Sierra Santos when it comes to covering Major League Baseball. So many guys speak Spanish, obviously. I don't know how your Spanish is. I took uh, four years in high school, two years in college, and it's crap. My Spanish is absolutely mm-hmm. terrible, despite having spent a lot of money on it. But yep. I, I wonder if you're surprised, being the, the guy that you are, the guy that puts together the reels and puts together the docs, are you surprised that there aren't more of us, you know, generic white people reporters that that don't speak Spanish for so many guys who do in this big leagues? Do you think that at some point here, uh, the the reporters are essentially going to be usurped by people who actually care to speak both languages?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, we have this, you know, and that's because we live in America and we have this kind of elitist. It almost feels like an elitist attitude, like well they'll just learn our they'll just learn English. And it's just not the it's just not the case. And quite frankly, I'm not sure it's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, it is kind of weird and strange that there is this pocket of guys in every clubhouse and every locker room, whatever the sport is, that they have each other and not really much else. Um, and Sierra kind of opened my eyes a little bit when we did that Cuba special with the Brayu and it certainly changed the game. And I think it changed how that interview came across with Jose. And Yeah, I mean, talking about my Spanish, same way. I took five years. The worst thing that ever happened to me is I tested out of Spanish in college. Yeah. And so I looked at that as like a, hey, I did it, so I don't need to take it. And in hindsight, if I could go back, I would take Spanish every single year in college, despite however strong I was when I first got there, because here I am going, okay, well. You know, I was able to order a cab and kind of tell a guy, you know, what I wanted to eat and where I wanted to go, but outside of, like, being able to sit down and talk with you know, Abreu or Melky Cabrera or any of these guys in the clubhouse, I mean, it wouldn't get very far. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it is. It is it's, it, it is surprising. And, I mean, I hope it changes. I hope we don't always feel like these guys should have to come here and immediately, you know, learn English. I mean, look at Abreu. He's still – he's basically kind of where he was. I mean, I know he knows some limited English. I'm sure you have and I have in passing talked some limited English with him. but. Mm-hmm. You know, In terms of on camera, I don't think much is going to change, and I think that's okay. I think the expectations should not always have to feel like these guys have to learn English because we need to hear from them in our language.
0: Guff, appreciate it, man. Thanks for hanging out with us. The Cornerstones series starts Monday at 7 p.m. on Comcast Sportsnet. Second part's at 7.30. Set your DVRs, and the White Sox pregame shows start shortly after those.
4: Hey, Connor. I'm always listening to White Sox Weekly as it is, so why not join it for once?
0: This is great. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Glad you could sit down and do it. Absolutely. That is Ryan McGuffey. He's a producer at CSN Chicago, and as we may have mentioned a number of times throughout the interview, Cornerstones, which is the name of the program, Cornerstones (laughs) airs at 7 o'clock on Monday night on CSN, you should watch. I will watch, or at least I'll DVR. I might be working, but I'm going to DVR it so I can watch it the next day. Friday, May 26th, kicks off homecoming weekend at Guaranteed Rate Field. Come see your Chicago White Sox take on the Detroit Tigers at 7:10 p.m. All fans are invited to stay for a post-game fireworks show presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Bring your business home with the Village of Bedford Park and win big. Purchase tickets today. By visiting WhiteSocks.com or by calling 866 Sox game. We'll be back to wrap it up. Still some time for your phone calls if you want. 312 591 8900 Our pregame show starts in twenty minutes. Sox and Mariners tonight. I'll work you through the lineups and a couple other specifics on the game and about the news of the day. The White Sox have reportedly signed Luis Robert to a big time deal. It's a big deal. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS Amy and Nighty. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Connor McKnight. 312 591 8900 is the phone number. I could just let this one play forever. Uh, so we talked quite a bit. Well, we did a lot actually on the show this evening. And thanks so much uh, for listening and, and tweeting in. 312 591 8900. You want to chip in a phone call here before we. Uh, Get the putt down and end our 18 holes of baseball conversation. I just I mix metaphors all day long. It doesn't matter. At C1McKnight is the Twitter handle. A lot of people um, asking questions. Kind of wanted to know some of the details and specifics on the signing of Luis Robert. And a couple of things I think we probably could have made clearer earlier in the show, so we will do that now. Maybe it's our apology segment. The White Sox have $3.7298 million. Uh, call it three million. million in international signing money. They traded Alex Katz a little bit earlier this afternoon to the Baltimore Orioles for a little bit of extra cash, about $750,000. So the Luis Robert finances for the White Sox essentially look like this. They have $3.8 million. Whatever they sign Luis Robert for, you subtract the 3.8, right? because there will be more than that. Whatever you go over is your tax. Right? So if they sign him for, let's call it twenty three point eight, you are I'm just spit, I'm just making up a number here out of whole cloth. Actually what I'm doing is I'm making up a number that makes the math easy for me. Let's say they sign him for two, $23.8 dollars. That means they're twenty million over, which means the twenty million that they're over will also be a tax applied to the White Sox. That's how this international signing thing works. Good news is, as soon as June 15th rolls around, you can forget all about those rules because they all change, and I'll have to learn the new ones, and we'll do this again next year. But for this part of the season, that's what you need to know. Another caveat on this is, should the White Sox indeed, as everyone's been reporting, sign Luis Robert to that overage deal, and they go over the pool by that much money, they will not be able to sign an international free agent for any more than $300,000 individually. So that really does take them out of the big market players for quite some time. If you're worried about that, don't be. That's something that a lot of ball clubs have done in the past handful of years since this version of international signing player bonus pool money thing has existed. They really never came up with a good name for it. Maybe that's why they're changing the system. The Red Sox went too heavy. I think the Dodgers went too heavy in a season or two, too. It's, it's, this is not something that you necessarily have to fear. And I think what we talked about with uh, with James Fegan of The Athletic, or in relation to this, is that it, it tells you that the White Sox are sold on this guy, that they really do believe in the skills there. There was heavy bidding for this ball player. The Cardinals and White Sox apparently is, is who it came down to. There were others involved and with Cuban players just because of the way uh, the news kind of gets segmented between player and representative, agent, and, and some of the reporters that, that do the work on the national signing thing. You never know if a, a mystery team is going to sneak in and, and and grab a player. It, that happens uh, seemingly more often, it seems, with some international players. That wasn't the case this time. The White Sox were, were in it the entire way through. And what this does for the ball club, I think, by and large, is just enrich and enforce the path that they'd already set themselves on. Aggregating young talent in in a big wave that's going to arrive, theoretically speaking, obviously the best laid plans go awry, but, you know, theoretically speaking, especially with baseball prospects, my goodness, could you think of a more volatile market to be in? Maybe one or two. But baseball-wise, this is it. So the idea here is, you know, you add a 19-year-old, I believe he turns 20 relatively soon, who's played at some high-level ball, Couple of questions about him, you know, the kind of pitching we talked. Ben Badler of Baseball America, and the questions really exist in, you know, what was the the kind of pitching he faced in Cuba? A lot of the big arms have come out of that system, some of into the major leagues. Indeed, you know, Jose Abreu was one of those guys too. I mean, the numbers he was putting up in the Cuban Serie A League were astronomical, just preposterous. I mean, numbers that aren't even worth making equivalencies for because no one hits 490. You know, I mean, it's just that kind of stuff. But obviously you've seen that translates into Major League Baseball to varying degrees given, you know, which player you're looking at, Cespedes, Puig, Soler, all that good stuff. But for Robert, you know the the horizon for him isn't exactly like the other Cuban players, some of the other big name Cuban players that you might know if you're watching Sunday night baseball or Wednesday night baseball or whatever. the The timeline for him will likely be a little bit farther out. He's got to get reacclimated to competitive baseball. He's got to fit into the White Sox system, acclimate himself to a whole culture. He, as a White Sox fan and as an organization, they're not new to this. That whole part well, that's that's old hat for them, and I think. So to wrap things up here on the show for the night, I think that's a big part of why he's reportedly joining the White Sox. They seem to really understand, that organization seems to really understand what it means to, to be a Cuban player in Major League Baseball at this point in time. What it takes to be that guy and be away from your family, your loved ones, whatever it happens to be. Jose Abreu has gone through a ton, personally, and a lot of Cuban, I don't mean to say just Jose, but a lot of Cuban players have, I don't want to say baggage is the wrong word, but but things they've had to deal with that isn't their fault. So in order to, to be an organization where clearly you're a, a desired landing spot is an important thing both on a personal basis and a baseball one for the White Sox, and it's seemingly paid off for them today. Sox fans, you win with Papa John's Pizza all season long. The day after the Sox win, you get 50% off your entire online order of regular menu-priced items only at PapaJohns.com when you use promo code SOXWIN. Valid at participating Papa John's locations, better ingredients, better pizza papa johns thanks to don kleppen and michael gray for producing this show the e- this evening thanks so much to our guests we had ben badler of baseball america anthony sworzek of the chicago white Sox, james feegan of the athletic and ryan mcguffey of CSNChicago.com. if you missed any of the show go to wlsam.com slash white Sox and listen to the podcast pregame show starts in 10 we'll see you then